There's never a dull moment when it comes to Minnesota sports, whether it's on the gridiron. For the end zone, it's Jefferson who's got the touchdown. On the court. Edwards thinking three and popping a three. On the ice. It's Caprice with it up and down. He scores. Or on the diamond. Buxton hammers that to left field. Another Minnesota home run. Whether it's positive. I think this is a good enough roster to make the playoffs. Or negative. He's terrible. Awful. Don't get it? Don't understand it. Whether there's optimism. Hey, they might be able to even make it to a conference final. Or pessimism. Don't expect me to be super excited. I mean, I don't know. Does this really do much for anybody? There's always something to chat about. Shout out to Minnesota Sports Chat. Keep on being elite. If you're looking for fun, informative discussion on all things Minnesota sports, you've come to the right place. This is Minnesota Sports Chat. And now, here's your host, Ross Brendel. I'll give myself fun. I'll let you decide if it's informative or not. Welcome inside edition number 129 already of the soon-to-be award-winning Minnesota Sports Chat. Award-winning, if only, in my own mind. Please remember to rate and review Minnesota Sports Chat on Apple and now on Spotify as well. And please do your best to tell all of your family and friends about this very fine podcast. And if you're listening in the Score North Taxi Squad feed, I thank you. I also encourage you to subscribe to Minnesota Sports Chat wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Today's guest on the pod can be found many places, including on the Climbing the Pocket podcast, on the Twitter machine, at the Real Forno. His name is Tyler Fornis, and he joins Minnesota Sports Chat now. Tyler, it's great to finally have you on the pod. Hey, um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it was really nice the fact that we were able to finally make this work after trying for the last couple months, and I'm excited to talk about some sports. I put the scheduling snafus on me. It's got nothing to do with you. I need to meet people at their schedules versus making people, demanding people meet me at my schedule. So I'm it's give and take. I'm shouldering the blame here. I'm putting this one on me as Kevin O'Connell put the loss in Philadelphia on him. Okay, let's start here with the Minnesota Vikings. It's a tired narrative, but I'm going to bring it up anyways because it's likely never going to go away. Kirk Cousins as a starting quarterback fell to 2 and 10 on Monday Night Football with the loss at Philadelphia. So I'll start with this. Your initial thoughts on Cousins and the Vikings. And I believe that 2-10 and 10 number may actually be against the spread. Irregardless, not great numbers for Kirk Cousins. Your thoughts from the 500-foot view on Cousins and the Vikings on the, uh, I don't know what we'll call it, the disaster in Philadelphia on Monday night. Yeah, th- this was Rocky going in and facing Clubber Lang and getting his ass absolutely handed to him in round two. That's what it looked like. And not only what are, is Kirk Cousins 2-10 and 10 on Monday Night Football, he's 2-10 and 10 against the spread on Monday Night Football, which is arguably a worse number because the spread is meant to even things out. Cousins has just been awful. Um, the only two wins he has are ironically in a place the Vikings historically stink at, and that's in Soldier Field which is wild to think about. And you can talk about the narrative. Oh, is it fair? It's a team game or whatnot. Look at his performances. 
Kirk Cousins absolutely stinks in prime time. And performances like this are why the Vikings are never going to be able to take it anywhere with Kirk Cousins. And why I was talking about this is the offseason. You needed to move on from him. This was a weaker quarterback draft class with, in my opinion, one prized possession. And that was Malik Willis. And they could have gotten a real return for him. And not had to worry about a massive cap hit. Take a year. Reload. 2023, O'Connell's got a full year installing this system. You can really take that jump. But they decided to run it back, and this is why it's still a 500 football team. There are holes. A lot of the star talent is older. Like, you're talking about an almost 30-year-old Daniil Hunter, an almost 30-year-old Zadarius Smith. Harrison Smith is 33. Like, Eric Kendricks is over 30 now. it's, It's a tough sell that this team is going to be able to really take a step considering you're running at back essentially the same roster. Like there's so many frustrations and cousins. They tried to put it on his shoulder last night when things got out of hand, didn't work. It looked like the 2018 John D Filippo offense running Flippy. a lot of, of <laughs> a lot of empty sets and just asking cousins to navigate the pocket and find the open guy. And he struggled and it showed. There's a lot that I can talk about based off of what you just said, but what you closed with, was perhaps my biggest frustration with what happened, at least offensively. And I'll get to why I'm more troubled by the defense than the offense. But to stick with offensively and to stick with Kirk Cousins, this is a team that's decided to put a lot of money into the running back position, not just the quarterback position, but a lot of money into the running back position. Unless you're doing it schematically to start Dalvin Cook out in the backfield, then you motion him over wide out to try and get some tells from the defense. I'm okay with that. But anytime you do an empty set where nobody ever starts out in the backfield without the perceived threat of running, I don't like that one bit, especially when your running back's making a ton of money. He should at least be back there on third and one, third and two, third and three, to at least get the defense thinking that they could run the ball. I didn't see enough of that last night. I don't love any time Kirk Cousins has five wide. No matter who the five players are, I don't love that. That, to to your point, brings back a lot of bad memories. I'm not saying it can't be better. I just, I've said numerous times, Tyler, and I I, I get the sense you and I are pretty pretty like-minded on this. Kirk Cousins isn't going to change at this point. I think you can make little changes or incremental changes, but you're not going to get all of the sudden in his early 30s or I guess mid 30s, an entirely new quarterback. And I don't think that that's realistic for people to expect that Kevin O'Connell can come in in here and just make him a brand new and different quarterback. I just don't think that that's I don't think that that's a fair expectation at all. It isn't a fair expectation, and there's the old adage, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, the same kind of goes with football players. At a certain point, you've been doing the same thing for so long that how are you going to expect anything to actually change or get better or, in theory, get worse? Cousins is who he is. He is quarterback 8 to 15 in the National Football League, depending on the week. He averages out about QB 12, QB 13, depending on where you want to put him, and he has limitations. He doesn't want to force the ball uh, into tight situations. He doesn't want to take risks. And when he does, it becomes a mitigated disaster because he does so out because he's forced to 
not because he trusts the people around him. And that's when you see a lot of the mistakes. That's why against the Blitz yesterday, four for 12 for 22 yards, he did throw a touchdown. That Irv Smith was against the touchdown, was against the Blitz, but he threw two costly interceptions because he was playing panicked football. He was not playing comfortably. And it looked night and day different from what we saw week one. And I think that's one of the reasons why this is a 500 football team. You're going to get that high variance play. You're going to see really good. You're also going to see stinky. And that's just what this team is. I will uh, spin it to you this way. And I'm going to get this uh, obligatory mention in because I seemingly do every podcast. So you hit on a number basically saying Kirk Cousins is somewhere between 8 and 15. I agree with that. So then I, But then I'll also say as I say numerous times, this is the obligatory mention, you can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. It's just really hard. So I mean, it's it's hard if you have a rock star quarterback. Now try being that team that doesn't have a rock star quarterback. Okay, those Baltimore Ravens that won. They had a world-class defense, one of the best ever that won the Super Bowl with Ray Lewis. Fast forward, or in 2000, fast forward again, the Ravens again later on in the 2000s with Joe Flacco. Pretty good, not great quarterback, okay? It can be done. Brad Johnson, again, great defense. But it's really it's really bleeping hard to do it that way. And it's really hard to do it that way when you have to make sure, and, and Tyler, I really wish the Vikings, it stinks that they have to do this, but they should be doing it every game. You got to get him in rhythm and get him feeling comfortable right away and immediately. And if you can't do that within Series 1 or Series 2, 95% of the time the game's a lost cause. He He's not the quarterback that's going to play really bad for three, three and a half quarters. Then when you really need it, put it together and win you a game. It just doesn't happen all that often. And, and to me, that is the real frustrating part of Kirk Cousins. But I'm going to shift gears here, okay? All that I just said... Nothing that he really did last night bugs me because I expect it. Like you just, it, it's it's frustrating that you still see it, but it shouldn't surprise anybody because it, now, now at this point in, in his career, he's a 61-61 and two quarterback. Not all on him, but at the end of the day, a decade in, the record's the record. I'm far more annoyed by what I saw defensively on Monday night, and what I saw defensively was just a team that at least seemingly from the eye of my couch, didn't want to make any adjustments. Had all night long to make adjustments and didn't. And the first half, specifically the first quarter, was not ready to be nearly as physical as Philadelphia was. The Jalen Hurts touchdown run, great touchdown run. Never should have happened. A couple times that that run should have been done, especially inside the five. Okay, I get it. He made it inside the five, whatever. But the final three yards of that run were were borderline pathetic absolutely shouldn't have happened so I'm just more frustrated by the defense and and you can pull yourself up offensively and overcome and win the game Vikings didn't do that we know that but the defense I I didn't get it all night long you were getting torched all night long because of having the safety so deep and you never adjusted throughout the game how's that possible or did I miss something did they make adjustments and Philly just kept exploiting them I have not watched the All-22 yet, so I, I can't tell you definitively that they did not make any adjustments, but I can tell you they didn't make any major schematic changes throughout the course of the game to uh, combat what the Eagles are doing. Now, I will say this. They allowed a boatload of yards. They only allowed 24 points. 
The goal of this defense, Ross, is to keep everything in front of you and make them beat you with layups. And outside of the blown coverage with that Quez Watkins deep ball, they they beat you with layups. They like like continuously. Like in NBA Jam, there's two types of players. There's the guys who try to steal and go for dunks. Then there's the guys who just chuck up three balls and try and hit them consistently. I'm the three ball guy. The biggest thing with this defense, it trusts that they're going to get home with four rushers, which they did not do consistently. And Jalen Hurts hit every layup underneath, and they were able to get yards after the catch. One thing that was talked about after the game, the Eagles receivers had about 13 feet of separation, 13 feet on average, which 4.2 yards. It's also about the length of an elephant. So they had a literal elephant separation on average last night. That's for NFL Next Gen Stats. I understand the concepts of this defense. I like the concepts of this defense, making every you them beat you with layups, dink and dunk. Like, think air raid in college. Like, hey, we're just going to dink, dunk here and there, and we're going to drive down the field. It'll take us 15, 16 plays, but we'll score. That concept is great. But the problem was Hertz was on target last night. He was on the money. He was hitting every single layup, hitting guys in stride. And at a certain point, you have to adjust. You have to understand that what you want to do isn't working and try something different. They should have done some cover too. They should have played some press man. They didn't make those types of adjustments. And to me, that's the biggest frustration because Ed Donatel is not some young whippersnapper. He has been in the league upwards of 30 years. He's been a defensive coordinator at many stops, including his last one in Denver where he served under Vic Fangio. He knows these kind of things and it didn't seem like he was making any of those adjustments and just felt really stubborn. That was my biggest frustration because they could have done something a little different to curb it. But I wonder, did they not make those moves because they thought Jalen Hurts was going to crush him with his legs? Well, and did they not make those moves just because maybe they didn't think they had the personnel to do things a little bit differently? You got to remember Cam Bynum still starting, had a, had a rough night last night. At some point, that's probably going to be Lewis Seen. I just don't know if that's going to be anytime soon based off of his injury in preseason and his snap count here early on. I will acknowledge, too, just some weird stuff last night. Okay, you get the block field goal, which was great. Very, very well done. But Chris Boyd picks it up, and you kind of got to score on that play. It's tough to tell that to somebody, but that's kind of got to be a scoop and score. And he struggled a bit with the scoop, then got taken down by the punter. You have the Irv Smith drop. I'm not sure Irv Smith will ever drop a ball like that ever again. Hopefully he doesn't. Then you have the Hicks interception where I'm not saying he has to find the end zone, but it would have been really helpful if he did find the end zone there. So you had all three of those things work against you. And I, for as bad as last night was, offensively and defensively, we'll give him a passing grade special teams-wise. So they did win a third of the game. Really tough for me to formulate grandiose opinions off of two games I gotta wait like four to six weeks and again going into the season I was hopeful they would be one and one through two weeks beating Green Bay and I I, like everybody a lot of people penciled a loss at Philly but it would have been nice to win the game but what I what I'm getting at is I tried not to overreact to week one even though I jokingly did the old well it's tough to see many losses on the schedule and I'm certainly not going to overreact to week two but I think it does set up a pretty big, if you can call it that, week three game against the Lions. Because I think some of the things the Eagles did well, specifically just pushing the Vikings around on the line, offensive line, pushing the Vikings defensive line around for the most part, 
The Lions are going to have an opportunity to do that, too, because they also have a great offensive line. The difference, though, this time the Vikings are at home and you get that crowd advantage, and hopefully that can neutralize the Lions a bit. But I, I, I'm looking forward to this game because the, the Lions are, you know, they're not your older brothers, your older fathers, your uncles, or your grandpa's Lions. They at least appear to be functional. This is a very good football team, and I absolutely love what Dan Campbell has done with this program. Not only did he, when he took over, obviously he had to fight the kneecaps line. Everybody loved to meme it to oblivion, but he hired really good coaching staff built around former players. Quarterback coach, Mark Brunel. Defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn. Wide receivers coach, Antoine Randall. That was not a mistake. He wanted to build a culture of former players helping these guys figure out how to win because the Lions did not know how to win, and they are figuring it out by built, utilizing building blocks, grit, hard work. The coaching staff does workouts with them. Like there is a buy-in and you could see that last year because they played hard. They should not have been anywhere near close to winning that game against the Los Angeles Rams. They were winning it into, or into the fourth quarter. They should have beaten the Vikings twice and they beat them once. Like this is a, football team that was dangerous just because of how hard they played and now they have an influx of talent they're very strong in the trenches they're better on the outside they're improving everywhere and next year is probably going to be the year where we see a really big jump from the lions this is a dangerous football team because when you have a team that plays extremely hard with an influx of talent that's extremely hard to beat especially with a division rival I want to circle back to something we we both kind of started with and the the whole Kirk Cousins conundrum starting over, not starting over, what the Vikings were presented with last offseason, what they ended up doing. I'm with you. I would have went if your two options were, and perhaps it sounds like they could have been, Ryan Poles or Kwesi, I don't want the Poles route. I would have said blow it up. We've seen enough of this for a half a decade Blow it up. Let's do things differently. One of my favorite hashtags of all time, be bad to get good. You know, I'm not going to purposely lose any games, but I might not put a team out there that's very capable of winning. But on on the topic of where the Vikings are and where they go, I'm everybody asks me, you know, just like you, beginning of the year, how are the Vikings going to do? The last few years, my standard response has been, well, Somewhere between 7 and 10 and 10 and 7 because that's basically what the quarterback's record dictates the team is going to be. And for things that you said, you you have peaks and valleys in his game and he's the most important player on the field, so I always go with that. So you get to the end of the year. Say you go 7 and 10. Say you go 9 and 8. Say you miss the playoffs. Heck, you go 10 and 7. But you lose right away in the playoffs. I did not agree with the Kirk Cousins contract extension. Again, mind you, I'm going to do the caveat. I think you could win a Super Bowl with him if everything else goes right. So I'm going to tap dance that so I can get victory points on both sides. But you can still, at the end of this year, you can make the decision to move on and be done with it. You're going to have to eat some money, but there's literally every other pick in next year's draft is going to be a quarterback. They'll be in the first round. There'll be ample opportunities for the Vikings to take a quarterback. Heck, they could even take one if things go well this year. Say they go 11-6. and six. They could take one late in the first round next year and stash him behind Kirk Cousins. So I'm not... I would have went the route uh, of tear it down, but I also don't think it's that hard to move on and rebuild after this season or next season. So if you still thought there was a small window... 
I'm not going to punish them for going all in on that window until I see 100% how this season plays out. Here's the tough part. I I don't like the idea of you can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins because, uh, oh, the Ravens did it with Dilfer or the Bucks did it with Johnson. Oh, because agree. 100% agree yeah. with that. Well, I, I want to at least address it, and I'm not going to necessarily uh, crucify you for it, Ross, but the big difference between then and now is it's almost impossible to have a historic defense like that anymore because of the advent of the quarterback position and just how the rules of the game are completely different. A great quarterback can win you everything. And we've seen that Tom Brady, great quarterback, seven Super Bowls. And you know what? Those Bucks defenses, they've been okay. They weren't phenomenal. They played great in the Super Bowl because of that front four, but Tom Brady was the catalyst behind pretty much all the last like four Super Bowls he won. You could argue the one against the Eagles. He was the catalyst. The first two, yeah, it, that those were a lot of team wins. But after that, it was Brady. And a great quarterback can do that for you. Patrick Mahomes, great quarterback, won a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford, I would not consider a great quarterback. Aaron Donald won that Super Bowl in spite of Matthew Stafford. And you can look back throughout that Rams season and yada, yada, yada. But we're kind of getting off track here, right? A great quarterback does everything for you just look back at last year's divisional round chiefs bills that felt like a super bowl because you had two absolute heavyweight title contenders fighting back and forth if you have that guy you're never out of it if you don't have that guy everything else better be working for you or you're screwed and to me i don't want to take that risk i don't want to have everything else work right because this is football we know that is so incredibly difficult to do. I want to have the guy that can overcome the BS and take the team to the promised land. We don't have that guy. And the fact that we extended him a year, I understand that was a business decision. That was, we don't want to take a step back in how much revenue we're driving. Okay. If you want to be a business team, I can understand that. Because at the end of the day, football is a business. But you also just committed yourself to mediocrity. And that's what the Kirk Cousins extension was, a commitment to mediocrity. I don't think I disagree with anything you just said there. In fact, you made my point a little bit more eloquently than I ever could. But yeah, a long story short, to rephrase, I would never choose to do it the way the Vikings are doing it. I would just say it's not impossible that they would win a Super Bowl, but it's also kind of improbable. Right. And why would you choose to do it that way? Again, they've only won one Super Bowl, but I'd rather do it the Packers way. I'd rather have a rock star quarterback using your words who can rise above. And then I just backfill the rest of the roster versus doing it the other way, getting rock stars at all other positions, hoping for depth, hoping for no injuries, hoping for some breaks in the schedule, maybe hoping that you face teams that have injuries when you don't. I'd rather just do it the other way. And the only way to do that is to keep taking swings at quarterbacks no matter where you draft them. So, okay, you're not going to take one in the first round next year. You should absolutely be considering taking one in the second or third round next year. I don't care that you whiffed on Calvin Mond. Every couple years, you should be drafting a quarterback. You have to. It's the most important position in sports. You should always be doing what you can do to have the best quarterback room possible. And this is where I'll give them... A smidge of credit. Finally cutting ties with Sean Mannion and even Kellen Mond, who they inherited, and bringing in 
who they believe to at least be a competent backup that can win games if needed. I'll give them a little credit for that to, to going, going out and getting Nick Mullins. Yeah. I, I, I like them trying to at least address the back quarterback position. I'll be honest. If your backup actually has to come in and play an extended period of time. Oh, you're screwed. You're very screwed. This isn't 1994 where you spend years developing a Brad Johnson, a Rich Gannon, a Cody Carlson, because I talk about my Houston Oilers all the time. This is an era where you want to take advantage of a rookie contract. You don't want to be using their rookie contract to develop them into a fringe starter. Obviously, it's great to have a capable backup. And you know what Nick Mullins is? He can come in and win you two games. He can win you two out of four if Kirk Cousins has a a sprained MCL. That's great. That's the best case scenario with the backup quarterback. Unless your backup quarterback's a first-round pick. Then it's a whole different ballgame. That's not really your backup quarterback. That's your future. Yeah, that's your quarterback in waiting. Um, on the on the um, Houston Oilers thing, the, uh, thing, what am I trying to say here? On the Houston Oilers topic, do you have a favorite Houston Oiler of all time not named Warren Moon? Drew Hill. I loved Drew Hill. That small, speedy receiver. Um, before the 93 season, he actually went and signed with the Atlanta Falcons uh, to play in their version of the run and shoot with Chris Miller. Uh, what Hill was able to do, he was he played in a similar style to Tyreek Hill, but he wasn't Tyreek Hill. Like He was uh, your stretch vertical receiver. He could do stuff with the ball in his hands. He would, uh, in the run and shoot, each route had like five different options based on the coverage and leverage. So one of the reasons why it was successful and it wasn't is because the quarterback really didn't throw a lot with anticipation. He threw a lot based on what he was seeing. And that was, that's was what makes it tough when you're facing NFL caliber defenses, because if you're waiting to react, they have time to then correct themselves. And Drew Hill was one of the best at just being able to find his way open and then taking off with the ball after the catch. And he was also phenomenal in technical which is the greatest football game of all time. So I'm just looking this up, and I I believe... Oh, no, okay, yeah, okay. I was going to ask if Eddie George counts as my favorite Houston Oiler, but then I I started thinking, well, did he spend much time there? He did. I mean, he spent enough time there. Mm -hmm. I was a big Eddie George guy. Even going back to his days at The Ohio State University, and I don't necessarily love a lot about the Ohio State University. What I do love is a good cup of coffee and Beans Coffee Company. They help me with that. They're about more than just providing fresh, great-tasting coffee. They're about convenience. What could be easier than fresh roasted coffee showing up on your doorstep without even having to remember to place an order? It just shows up. All you have to do is get yourself set up with a subscription, which can be set up in one to eight-week intervals and customized by your favorite blend. Go to coffeebybeans.com, coffeebybeans.com, and get that set up. When you're there, use the promo code SPORTSCHAT. When you sign up or check out, you'll save 10%. Subscription's not your thing. Not a problem. You can order by the bag as well. Beans Coffee Company, they ship anywhere in the U.S. with free shipping on all orders of three bags or more, coffeebybeans.com, promo code SPORTSCHAT. I recommend the Mikado. It is wonderful and fun. Fun fact was actually, I believe, 
Now, I love how I say fun fact, and then I throw the word out, I believe. Believe it was the name of Mankato before we ruined how it was actually supposed to be said. That's at least what was told to me. Tyler Fornis, are you ready? We're going to close this out with five filler questions. Are you ready for that? I'm in. All right, five filler questions, a game born from Phil Mackey, so he gets the naming rights. Tyler gets the cheap podcast open of five filler, filler, filler questions. Your love for football, Tyler Fornis, came from where? I'll I'll be honest, I don't know. Um, I I remember my dad was kind of into it, and I remember helping him with his fantasy football team in 98. I just watched football as a kid, and I I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, when I when I was younger, like I didn't have a lot of friends. I I kind of grew up the picked on kid all throughout school. I hope you I beat really... them up now if you ever see them. I hope you beat them up. <laughs> nah, I, I I just flash in their face that I work for USA Today and usually shuts them right up. Perfect. But I didn't get I didn't get a group of friends until I was like seventeen. So sports kind of became like that substitute. And I just, I fell in love with football. Um, and then before uh, the NBA, in my opinion, got not as fun, I used to love NBA and NBC, and I would watch those triple headers, like Heat and Knicks. Uh, I loved watching the Pacers just be all scummy with Reggie Miller. like Marv I Albert just, on the call. Oh, Marv Albert, Bob Costas, Doug Collins. Like There were some really good announcers back in the day, um, and some of them still go now. But, yeah, I, I would say it was just – lack of lack of friends and it was on tv and i just kind of fell in love with it i feel like uh, you know you mentioned helping your father and watching football i think that's generally where a lot of mine came with and people always ask me i I love that you were open about maybe how how you came to football and liking sports you know kind of similarly for me uh, i grew up in a one-parent household and my my father was uh, incredibly active with us and did a lot but one of the ways I would kill time is I would watch the Twins. I would watch the Wolves. I would watch, well, there wasn't a hockey team at the time, which is another topic. But I'd watch, I'd watch football. I'd watch all this stuff. So we're, we're kind of like-minded there on where our love for sports came from. So my sources, a.k.a. the Twitter machine, and you're on the Twitter as well, at the Real Forno, uh, they report back to me, you have a dog named Odie. I do. Any plans on buying an orange cat and naming it Garfield? Oh, trust me. Um, I would love that idea. Um, Garfield was actually the antithesis of me mentioning the name Odie, and he is just the sweetest little boy. Um, <laughs> he's a good-looking dog. Oh, he's a beautiful dog. It's honestly unfair how much better looking he is than me, but <laughs> I I really won't complain. He, is, uh, he basically spent all morning when I was working snuggling up to me and just taking naps, and it was pretty great. Pets are the best. I love that. Question number three of five filler questions. When you aren't doing the sports thing, what do you enjoy? What do you do that's not sports-related? Oh, that's a good question. Um, a lot of what I do is sports-related. I do enjoy um, professional wrestling. Yes, I don't know if if you'll qualify that as sports or not, because it's it's kind of a weird gray area between like reality TV and sports. It's it fills a a different medium. But uh, I've been to a few of the AEW pay-per-views. I was just at all out this um, a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I love video games. I have nearly every retro console in my basement and I pull them out from time to time and we'll just binge them. Um, I like uh, fires. I love craft beer and bourbon. Um, and board games are another fun one um, that we kind of dive into board games with my friends. Um, 
If you've never played it, get a group of like eight people and play a board game called Secret Hitler. It is one of what? Just go Google it when you're done. (laughs) Okay. It's, It's um. It's one of the funnest games I think I've ever played in my life. I used to love playing the board game Pandemic until we actually had one, and now I, I, now I don't think I ever want to see that game ever again. Uh, the most underrated food is what? Gravy. Oh, nice. I, I love, love, love gravy. You can put it on fries. You can dip pizza in it. Um, if your Thanksgiving plate isn't coated with gravy, you are doing it wrong. Um, I, there, my family actually makes me go last at Thanksgiving because of how much gravy I, I <laughs> like to use, um, which is fine. Like it's not that big of a deal anymore. When I was like, when I was like thirteen, I was just thought it was a bunch of crap. But uh, gravy is, in my opinion, when you have a great gravy, like a great Thanksgiving turkey gravy made with the drippings, it is the best food in the world so what pie are you having at thanksgiving because thanksgiving's now right around the corner that's i learned in the last few years whatever pies you have at thanksgiving also very polarizing Mm -hmm. so we aren't usually a pie family we usually have one but um it'd either be pumpkin or apple um i do like a good blueberry but we have what's called pumpkin chiffon pudding and it's it's a been a staple in our family for 35 years Basically, Ross, what it is is you take pumpkin pie filling, whip it into a meringue, and add gelatin to it, and it becomes like super springy. It's a little extra flavorful and sweet. It's one of the greatest things on planet Earth. See, I think that sounds delicious because whenever people ask me to bring something for Thanksgiving, I almost always say that I'll pick up the pies, but my family's a lot like me. I want kid pies. So when I show up for Thanksgiving, it's like banana cream and French silk. Or if it's going to be pumpkin, we got to layer it with cream. It's got to have a bunch of whipped cream on it. Oh, yeah. So that uh, one, one thing that's also a staple in my family, M&M cookies with a packet of vanilla pudding mixed in with the dough. It's one of the weirdest things, but it's phenomenal. Wait, so tell me, is that you just take vanilla pudding and you... No, okay. So, describe okay, that so, again. So, okay. so Because that like, sounds delightful. So you make like a chocolate chip cookie, but instead of chocolate chip cookie, uh, chocolate chips, you put in M&Ms, all right? Okay. And then in with the dough, you take a dry packet of instant vanilla pudding and mix it in. It's phenomenal. So it just adds extra flavor? Yeah. Okay. Extra flavor makes it a little more moist. It's honestly an incredible cookie, and it became a staple in our family about 20 years ago. Have you ever had that? uh, This this became food talk so quickly. Have you ever had that Oreo cookie? I don't even know what, what I don't even know what it was called, but it was basically I think it's cream cheese, vanilla pudding, and then crushed up Oreos. Oh, uh, like it's like a Oreo salad. Yes, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I've had that. It's awesome. Oh, I also make Snickers salad for the holidays. You ever had Snickers salad? Oh yeah, Snickers yeah, salad. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's close it out with this question number five of five filler questions, and we have filled some time. So thank goodness for that. I see you're a college football guy, too. You got any hot gopher football takes for me? And if you don't have any hot gopher football takes, just college football takes? Yeah, I'll give you a couple uh, football takes. Um, I'll start with non-gophers. We'll finish it with gophers. The Florida quarterback, Anthony Richardson. Everybody knows I'm a Florida fan. Everybody also knows I am an NFL draft guy. Anthony Richardson is Wyoming's Josh Allen. He has all the talent in the world. He has an absolute missile for an arm. And he has no idea how to use any of his gifts. He just he doesn't get it yet. 
yet you see flashes of it, but then you see like, what is he doing? He's going to need time and nurturing, but he's somebody you need to watch out for to potentially be the next great NFL quarterback because he'll figure it out eventually. In Madden, um, in Madden 2023, he was available with the 38th overall pick, and he is now a member of the fake Houston Texans led by Ross. There we go. There we go. That now, now you got to develop him. That's We're going to develop. Yep. Yeah. Davis wow. Mills is going to going to hold the job down for a few more weeks, maybe the entire year, and then we'll be on to Mr. Richardson. Perfect. Um, my Gopher football take is um, with uh, Kirk Soraka, the Gophers are going to win the Big Ten West. I know um, losing Chris Ottman Bell hurts, but you have talent on the outside. You have a stable of backs that are fantastic. The fact that this offensive line that's been rebuilt and retooled because of all the departures this past offseason, they had three easy games to try and figure it out, develop that communication, the defense replacing all but three starters, including the entire defensive line. They had time to gel and figure it out with Joe Rossi. And then you get Michigan State, who is nowhere near as good as what they were ranked preseason. This gopher team with how weak the Big Ten West is and how relatively easy the schedule is, because if you can get past Michigan State and Penn State in the East, this gopher team could win 10-11 games, and I would not be shocked. If the Gophers go to East Lansing and win, then I'll get really excited. I think they're an eight, eight, nine win team. If you if you go to East Lansing and you beat Michigan State, then I think you're at least a nine win team because the only other games that I would put on the schedule that I would automatically assume that you would lose would probably only be the Penn State game. Everything else is winnable to a degree. I'm not saying you're going to win them all, but they're winnable to a degree, but I got to see what happens this week with Michigan State this upcoming Saturday. And Daniel House will join me later this week in this feed. And we'll review the game against Colorado. And then we'll preview the game against Michigan State. But I, I kind of still got to see it a little bit. I got to see what it looks like in Big Ten form. And, and how they get through the Chris Ottman Bell injury. Which I, I don't think can be used as an excuse for not winning the West. Or at least not having a pretty good season. But... Overall, I'm pretty darn optimistic about Gopher football, and if you can go through an entire season like they did last year, a team predicated on running the football, and you lose literally almost every running back you have and still win nine games, I think that says a lot about the coaching. So I'm fairly bullish on the Gophers, too. So it's good to hear somebody else say that. Tyler, what should people be checking out on your Twitter handle with Climbing the Pocket? The floor is yours here. What should, what should people, what do the people need to know? Absolutely. Well, as you said earlier, you can find me on Twitter at The Real Forno. I have a lot going on, as always. Um, I am a writer for the 3013, where I do some bo- more behind the scenes kind of and news writing. So you won't see a lot from me there, but you'll see a lot from me from the Vikings Wire, where I'm the managing editor. Um, and then by the time this drops, Ross, um, your own Judd Zulgad will be coming aboard and he will be writing for us. So I'll nice. give you a, a little teaser there. Wow. Um, I'm going to be I do doing a lot for the Vikings while we're talking about the Vikings. And I'm doing a series on Kirk Cousins checkdowns and grading them on how cowardly they are. Because there is a narrative that he loves to check down and people will be like, oh, the narrative's BS. Well, the narrative's there for a reason. Let's prove it or disprove it with an absolutely objective viewpoint. Because I'm just going to tell you if I thought it was a good call or bad call. And that's the long and the short of it. This is a quarterback that is obviously polarizing for many reasons. I inv- and we're going we're gonna to get to the answers, the real answers, not the Twitter, hey, I love Kirk Cousins, or I'm a, uh, a politically this way or the other way. No, 
This is the football answer. I envision at the end of Kirk Cousins' career, there will be a public hearing where we will decide maybe at Congress whether he was a good NFL quarterback or not, and people will be stating their cases on both sides. Because I truly believe in a lot of towns they have conversations about how good is our quarterback really. I don't know if they have them on the level that we have had them ever since Kirk Cousins arrived. And it's there are days I pick sides, but largely I just kind of stand on the sidelines and watch. I kind of look at it. I don't have a dog in the fight. I didn't pick the guy, but it is your team. So naturally, you're going you're gonna to have a feeling one way or another. I, I think regardless, uh, whether it works with Kirk Cousins or not, it's only going to be a few more seasons because in, in the words of uh, Adam Sandler talking about his grandma and Happy Gilmore, he's just old. He's, he's getting too old. I mean, it, it won't be much longer, which to your point going way back in this pod is, yeah, at some point you got to figure out what's next. And there's only so many logical breaking points, but we'll see. Tyler, this has been a ton of fun. I hope to get you back. And I think naturally I went over my time commitment. So I apologize if I kept you from doing anything, but thank you for staying. Hey, absolutely. Um, life is good. I appreciate having me on and we'll try and do this again. Yeah, and hopefully the next time we talk, it's not off of a clunker of a performance. It's after a fun Vikings game. That would be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. I like talking about good Vikings teams, but bad Vikings teams are about the same. Well, it's we again. Uh, yeah, we'll save for another time. But you either want the team to be really good or really bad. The Kirk Cu- middling team yeah. sucks. <laughs> the Kirk Cousins Vikings have largely just been been frustrating. All right. At the Real Forno on Twitter, that'll do it for this edition, 129 of Minnesota Sports Chat. Please remember to rate and review. You can always reach out to me on the Twitter machine at Brendel Ross and the email as well. The email? Sounds like I'm 70. Minnesota Sports Chat at gmail.com. That does it for this edition. I'm Ross Brendel saying thanks for listening. Please rate and review kindly.